This morning we've uh, technically got two readings. Uh, There are several chunks in the first one, which is from Ezekiel, chapter 34. I'm going to start at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. And then we're continuing at verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. And then verses 23 and 24. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Our second reading is in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 11 to 21. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. Father God, we thank you that you have given us your word to show us what you are like. Thank you that as we come this morning to John chapter 10, we're going to see wonderful things about who the Lord Jesus is 
And so I pray that you would, by your spirit, be at work in us to teach us to love you more and to serve you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you want to be a sheep? Do you want to be a sheep? I mean, it's not a very flattering way of being described, is it, to be called a sheep? I mean, sheep, we know, are fairly stupid creatures. They're very vulnerable. You can't just leave them out on the hillside. They'll quickly get scattered and be attacked. If someone's describing you as a sheep, normally they're insulting you. They're saying, that person just follows the crowd. They're just a a sheep. They're a follower, not a leader. And we like to pride ourselves on being independent people, of being people who are in control, people who stand up for ourselves, look out for ourselves. We don't want to be sheep. We don't want to be followers. We want to be leaders. But I think if we stop and think about it for a moment, most of us will know that we do follow something or someone whether that be the newspapers we buy and the books we read, their opinions, that's what shapes us. We follow those. Or the expectations of our family, we follow those, and that sets the course for our lives. Or if there's a particular business leader or academic leader or leader in the political world, then that's who we follow. And that's who we think has the hope for the future. And so we follow them. Most of us follow something or someone, and we find confidence, safety in the fact that we're following that path that they're leading us on. In a confusing world, that's where our confidence is found. The person who's leading us is important. It's important that we know that they can lead us safely. And in John chapter 10, Jesus stakes his claim of being the leader who everyone needs. Using this metaphor of shepherd and sheep, Jesus says, I'm the leader who you need, the leader who you need to follow, because I can get you safely home. In the original context where the words were said, a man who's blind has just changed his allegiances. Previously, he was following the religious establishment, but he's changed to follow Jesus. And that's left him quite isolated in the world. But Jesus here is explaining that he is the good shepherd to this man. He is the leader who that person needs, the leader all of us need. And we're going to see two things this morning about the sort of shepherd, the sort of leader that Jesus is. The first, you'll see them on your sheet. The first is the shepherd's death, which is what sort of leader is Jesus? And then secondly, the shepherd's mission. That is, where is the leader taking us? The shepherd's death, the shepherd's mission. The first is longer than the second, just so you know. So firstly, the shepherd's death. Look down at verses 11 to 13, and you'll see the contrast there between the shepherd and the hired hand. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So we're entering the world of sheep farming. And we've said sheep are vulnerable creatures. They need someone to look after them. So you've got either the hired hand who's an employee or you've got the shepherd. And what's the difference between them? Well, look at verse 12. The hired hand doesn't own the sheep. So, verse 13, he cares nothing for them. The hired hand doesn't own the sheep, so he cares nothing for them. Whereas the shepherd, he's the one who owns them, and so he cares for them. In that culture, the shepherd would spend days and days and days out in the fields with the sheep, looking after them. He would know them by name. He would know if they were wandering away. He would know if they're injured. He would know them and care for them because they belong to him. 
That's the difference between the shepherd and the hired hand. But Jesus isn't telling us this so that we would understand the psychology of sheep farming. He's telling us this so that we would know how he relates to his people. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's saying, one way of understanding how I relate to my people is it's like a shepherd relating to sheep. I am the good shepherd. And the key thing about him is that he knows and cares for his people. He knows them and cares for them because they're his. And when we think about what we want in a leader, isn't this something that we want in a leader? A leader who knows us and cares for us. A little while ago, we had the Scottish referendum, didn't we? And one thing that was one of the factors that was playing into that was that people in Scotland, some people were saying that the Westminster Parliament is so far away, it's disconnected from us. They don't really know us. They don't care for us. They're not passing laws that we want. And whatever you think about that, that, isn't that one of the factors we want in a leader? We want a leader who knows us, a leader who cares for us. But what about Jesus? Look down at verses 14 and 15, because they are staggering verses. Look what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. If you want a leader who knows you, Jesus qualifies. That's what it says. He says he knows his sheep just as he knows his Father. He knows his sheep just as he knows his father. That's not an impersonal knowledge, a knowledge of just facts about someone. That's a deep care, a deep knowledge. I mean, when you reflect on the way that Jesus speaks about how he knows his father in John's gospel, just think, it's staggering. Right from the very start, in the beginning, the word was with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus, father and son, have been with one another since the very beginning. Or chapter 1, verse 18, John describes Jesus as the one who is at the Father's side, or in the Father's bosom, literally. A picture of intimacy, intimate knowledge. Or chapter 5, verse 20, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Full disclosure, no barriers between them. Jesus knows his Father in a deeply intimate, deeply personal way. And he says here in chapter 10, I know my sheep, I know my people just as... I know my father. An incredible knowledge, the sort of knowledge that you want if someone's going to lead you. But what does Jesus do with that knowledge? When he looks at his people, what does he do with it? What does he see that they need? We'll come back again to verses 11 to 13. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The good shepherd, with his knowledge, lays down his life and dies for the sheep. He's imagining what's going to happen when a wolf comes to the flock. And he thinks, firstly, when the hired hand's in charge, what's going to happen? So the wolf is standing there, about to attack the flock. And what does the hired hand do? He runs. The hired hand runs. He doesn't want anything to do with protecting the sheep if it's going to cost him his life. Why would he stand there? He doesn't care for them. The hired hand has no care for the flock, so he runs. He wants to save his own skin. He's just in it for himself. 
It's the classic example of the leader who cares more about their own personal comfort than the people who they're, fo- they're leading. The sheep stand no chance. Some are killed. Some are injured. All of them are scattered. But what about the shepherd? What does the shepherd do? Well, verse 11, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the shepherd sees the wolf coming, he stands his ground. He doesn't run. He doesn't abandon them. He stands there and dies for them. The shepherd dies for them. He knows the sheep. They're his. He owns them. He cares for them. They're precious to him. And so he stands and takes the blows of the wolf so that they can be safe. He's ready to sacrifice himself for them, to lay down his life for them, to keep them safe. This is the sort of leader who knows what his people need. He knows they need a sacrifice, so he dies for them. The hide hand runs because he doesn't care. The shepherd stands his ground and dies for the sheep. And Jesus is using this picture to explain to us that he is going to die for his people. He's going to die for his people. The good shepherd who knows his people will die for them. You know, there's a whole lot of confusion today about what was the point of Jesus' death? Why did Jesus die? And one example, one idea that some people have put forward about why did Jesus die, they say something like this, that the death of Jesus is just a a great moral example designed to inspire us. So when we look at Jesus' death, we see him dying under such great injustice and we think, if I see that, then that'll inspire me to live in a better way. But you see from these verses that that just doesn't make any sense as an explanation. A shepherd does not stand in front of his sheep because he wants to inspire them to live more morally. That's not what he's doing. He doesn't think that Dolly the sheep needs an example of courage so that she'll share her pasture with less fortunate sheep. That's not why he's dying for them. The shepherd dies as a sacrifice. The shepherd dies as a sacrifice his life given so that theirs will go free. The death of Jesus at heart is not just a moral example to us. It's a sacrifice so that we might live. You might be thinking, but I don't need a sacrifice. I mean, there's no wolf coming, is there? What danger am I in? But remember, because Jesus knows us so intimately, he knows exactly what it is that we need. He knows that a sacrifice is what we need. And so if you've read through John's gospel, you'll know that Jesus comes into the world and his verdict on the world is this, that the world is living in darkness. It's not a wolf that's the problem, it's a moral danger that people are in. He says people have chosen to reject him, to live in darkness. They're like sheep who've just wandered away, ignoring him, ignoring God choosing to disobey him, refusing to hear his voice. And that path leads to death and condemnation. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That's the moral danger that Jesus declares when he comes into the world that his people need rescuing from. And it's into that danger that the shepherd offers himself as a sacrifice. It's for that danger, that reason, why Jesus lays down his life. He lays it down so that he will save his people from death itself. His life given up to the curse of sin so that ours doesn't need to be. His life taken to death so that ours can live. 
if you're a Christian, if you're one of Jesus' sheep, you know that the reason why Jesus didn't run away from the cross is because he cares for you. The reason Jesus didn't run away from the cross is because he cares for you and would lay down his life as a sacrifice for you. That's the sort of leader that Jesus is, the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. Now, there are two implications of this that we can work through quickly. Two implications. First is this. Don't forget that Jesus cares for you. Don't forget that Jesus cares for you. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I have those moments where you just think, can Jesus still really love me? Can he still really love me? Perhaps you've wandered away or you've drifted a little bit to the fringes of church life. You've fallen back into a pattern of sin or just grown cold over the passing of time. And you wonder, I want to come back, but can Jesus still really love me? Or maybe you look around at the circumstances of your life and you just think they're so bad that God must have abandoned me, surely. He can't really still care for me. What would Jesus say? He says this, I'm not a hired hand. I don't run away from my sheep. I don't abandon them. I die for them. I care for them so much. Just as I know my father, I know them and I care for them. I'm not going to abandon you. To the Christian wondering, does Jesus still love me? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. He would give himself even to death for his sheep. He will keep on loving you. That's implication number one. Number two, trust that he can lead you. Trust that he can lead you. We know that every leader has to sometimes ask the people who follow him or her to do things that they, they can't quite work out exactly why it is that the leader's asking them. Every, every leader has to do that, and it's no different with Jesus. Sometimes we come to his word and we see things that, well, they're a bit confusing. I'm, I'm not sure why Jesus would want me to do that. Why should I live like that? And it's in those moments that you follow because you already trust the leader. You trust that the leader is for your good and is not going to lead you into harm. And so whenever we come to parts of the Bible we, we find difficult, it would do us good to remember John chapter 10. Remember what sort of leader, what sort of shepherd Jesus is. He's the shepherd who has already died for his people. He's already given his life for them. He hasn't abandoned them. So he's not going to lead you, not going to lead you somewhere that's going to harm you. You can trust him, trust that he's for your good, and so follow him. It doesn't mean that we'll work out exactly why it is that Jesus has asked us to do those things, but it does mean that we can trust him. So the two implications there, don't forget that he loves you, trust that he can lead you. So what sort of leader is Jesus? Well, from the shepherd's death, we see a leader who dies for the sheep he knows. But secondly, secondly, the shepherd's mission, the shepherd's mission, because another thing we want to know about a leader is, what's their vision? Where are they taking us? What's the end goal? What's their mission? Where are they going to be leading us? We'll look down at verse 16, and we get to see what Jesus' mission is. Look at what he says. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. Put simply, the shepherd's mission is to gather in and unite his flock. 
The shepherd's mission is to gather in and unite his flock. As I've been preparing for this, I was remembering a TV program. It's a really odd program that I saw a couple of times growing up. Um, It was on the BBC. I think it might still be on the BBC. I don't know. It's called the, The National Sheepdog Trials. It's a strange program. And it's a competition between farmers across the UK. And what they do on a particular day, it works something like this. There's a massive field and it's full of sheep, the farmer's sheep, and they're scattered throughout the whole field. And the shepherd stands at the front with his sheepdog. And they press start on the stop clock. And it's a race to see how quickly the shepherd can gather in all of the sheep. And the sheepdog sort of runs around the field, gathers them all in together, and takes them into the pen. And they do this and see who's the best shepherd, apparently. But that's a picture of what Jesus is saying his mission is. He's saying he's going to go around and gather up all of his people and bring them in together and unite them. And the stop clock's not going to be stopped. The world won't end until all of his sheep have been brought in together and united. If you look at the start of the verse, you'll see um, he talks about other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. This seems to be referring to the Gentiles if you compare it to verse 1. So he's saying, I've got a Jewish set of sheep who in my local area I'm going to collect, but now there's other sheep from a different sheep pen. I'm going to go and reach sheep from the whole nations. I mean, it's an extraordinary claim. He's, he's just talking in Palestine at the time. There's no uh, global communication, no global travel. And he's saying, I'm going to be the leader of the nations. I'm going to gather in sheep from all across the world. It's an extraordinary claim. But then here we are 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles away from Palestine. And people here in this room would say that we follow Jesus. He's gathered some here into his flock. But what is the end result going to be? Look at verse 16. The flock united under Jesus. One flock and one shepherd. The picture is of safety and security. The reading we had earlier from Ezekiel chapter 34. When the flock is scattered, it's because bad shepherds have not looked after them. They've not given them safety and protection. So the sheep wander and the shepherds, they don't go and search for them. The sheep get injured and they just get left on the hillside. The sheep stray and the shepherd just thinks, I don't care. A scattered flock is a flock that has no security, no protection, where sheep are just allowed to wander. But that's not the case with Jesus' flock. That's what he says in verse 16. At the end, there will be one flock and one shepherd. The shepherd will have gathered all of his sheep in and they'll be under him protected, safe. And it's Jesus explaining what he's going to be doing. I don't know if you ever look around at the world and you just think the church is in such a mess, infighting within the church, or you look outside the church and the church is being attacked, Christians persecuted in Nigeria and Syria and all around the world. And you just think it's not a picture of security, is it? But here's Jesus saying what will be the case, what he is at work doing He's at work gathering his people. And at that last day, there will be one flock, one shepherd, people safe. So don't be discouraged when you see that, when you look around the world. Jesus is at work. Be confident that he is bringing his sheep in. He's gathering them all up and uniting them. But there's another question that we need to resolve, and it's this. In verse 11, the shepherd died. So how is it that the shepherd is still calling his sheep to himself? Dead shepherds don't speak, do they? Well, look down at verse 17 and 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life 
only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Do you see what he's saying? I have authority to lay my life down. I'm going to die for my sheep, but I've been given authority to take my life back up. It's another extraordinary claim, isn't it? Before he dies, Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life and then I'm going to take it back up again. I'm going to rise from the dead. That's how Jesus can complete his mission. He can gather in his people because he doesn't stay dead. He rises from death. And that's exactly the reason why the father loves him, because he's obedient to this command. This mission is why his father loves him. The shepherd can complete his mission because he rises from death. So that's the the shepherd's mission. His vision for the world is this, that he is gathering his people to him and uniting them. But how do people respond when they see the claims of Jesus? How do people respond? Well, look down at verses 19 and 20 to 21. At these words, the Jews were divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? When Jesus makes these claims, there's a division Some people hear it and think, he's mad. He's mad. How is he going to be the leader of the nations? How is he going to take his life back up again when he dies? Sounds like a madman talking. But others have a different response. They know Jesus isn't mad. Why? Well, verse 21. They've been confronted with the evidence about him. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They've seen that Jesus has performed an extraordinary miracle. He's opened the eyes of the blind. They've been confronted with the evidence. They know it's compelling, so they know he's not a madman. This morning, I've been trying to explain to you how good a leader Jesus is. And there may be some here who think, that sounds amazing. I want that to be true. But I don't know if it's true. Is there evidence? Can Jesus follow through on his claims? Well, if that's you, can I ask that you would read through a biography of the life of Jesus, one of the gospel accounts? Why not have a read and look at the evidence that Jesus gives? Or come and talk to me or one of the other members of staff afterwards. We'd love to show you the evidence that Jesus gives that he is this sort of leader, this sort of shepherd. Shepherd you can trust. But if you have already been convinced, if you are one of Jesus' sheep, as we close, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice that he would give his life for the sheep that he cares for. Rejoice that he would lay his life down as a sacrifice for you. Rejoice that you have such a shepherd as this. And be confident. Be confident that this shepherd is at work, completing his mission, gathering all of his sheep into himself to unite them together. Be confident that one day there will be one flock under the one good shepherd. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that even though we were wandering and straying away like sheep, you came and searched us out. And you came and put Jesus, the good shepherd, over us. Thank you that the shepherd, the Lord Jesus, would lay down his life only to take it up again. Thank you that his sacrifice has secured our freedom. And we pray that you would give us confidence and joy 
as we think of what it is to be his sheep. And we pray this in his name. Amen.